Hi, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast, where you get to hear the stories and wisdom of our industry's most successful leaders and legends. I'm Art Stevens, your host, and I'm pleased to report that today's guest is number 58 in our three-year-long podcast series. Today, we're going to explore the subject of research in public relations, and our guest today is Mark Weiner, a pioneer and leader in research. You probably know Mark's name because his name has been everywhere in any discussion to do with research and analytics in public relations. Mark Weiner is one of the leading and most respected experts in the world on public relations research, measurement, and evaluation. He's got over decades of experience conducting high-quality, actionable research for scores of Fortune Global 1000 companies, which include Adobe, Ford Motor Company, MasterCard, and McDonald's. He's got deep expertise in the technology, automotive, financial services, healthcare, and professional services sectors. Since 1993, Mark's devoted his career to helping many of the world's most respected organizations and brands to demonstrate and generate a positive return on their investment in corporate and brand communications. His new book, which is entitled Public Relations Technology, Data and Insights, Igniting Your Communications Return on Investment, was published by Kogan Page in April 2021. And he's also the author of Unleashing the Power of PR, A Contrarian's Guide to Marketing and Communication, published by John Wiley and Sons. Mark was Chief Executive Officer at Prime Research and as Chief Insights Officer following Cision's acquisition of Prime in 2018. Prior to Prime, Mark was the Global Director and Senior Vice President of Ketchum Research, and before which he was the CEO of Delahaye Media Link, a corporate communications research and consulting firm. Mark Weiner founded MediaLink Research in 1994, and in 1997, he served on the executive committee that led MediaLink to become the first public relations firm to initiate a public offering. So it is my pleasure to welcome Mark Weiner today. And Mark, how are you doing? How's, how's it going today? I'm very well. Thank you, Art. I'm happy to be here with you, to be reunited. So we're going to talk a little bit about research, and, and, and for our listeners today, Mark and I actually go back many years. We talked a little before the, the start of today's broadcast about a company he was with some years ago uh, that I worked with when I first started my career in public relations. It was a company called PR AIDS. Um, I guess the word AIDS was uh, okay then because it preceded, obviously, what became a major scourge in our world history. So, Mark, take us back to your early career. Uh, how did you get into research? I know PR AIDS was one of the companies you worked with. Um, how did you get into research? Uh, I know you have experience, obviously, even working for a newspaper, the New York Times. Take us through your career a little bit, would you please? Sure, I'm happy to. The, uh, the mystery of careers very often is that they make sense looking backwards but could never be predicted moving forward. I was incredibly lucky to have my first career experience at the New York Times News Service. Uh, and following that, uh, the Chicago Tribune company. And the work I did involved uh, being a liaison between the news services and the newsrooms. So I, I became very familiar with, with, uh, with newsrooms and the editorial process and how newspapers functioned. 
And at the time, I recognized that the news business was challenged, uh, that, that newspapers were starting to go out of business, even major newspapers. And I looked for an alternative. And my first position was with PR Aid. And at PR Aid, this was one of the, the, the pioneering communications technology companies of its day in the late 50s, early 60s. I joined in um, the mid-1980s. And the company provided um, news distribution, printing and mailing services to newsrooms. And my uh, understanding of newsroom functionality, editorial interest, helped our clients, and that was my introduction to public relations through the service entrance, you might say. Research came later with a company called PR Data, another pioneering PR technology company that was the first to use technology in evaluating media coverage. Uh, that company offered both, both news distribution and media analysis, and that was my first exposure. Uh, through that, I, I I realized I had an aptitude for it. I, I didn't set out to do it. I was not, I was an English major. I don't even I can hardly use Excel now. But I've been lucky <laughs> to work with really brilliant people who understand statistics and data. And uh, I learned. And through affirmations like this, I realized I had a, a talent for it, and it encouraged me. And I continued to pursue it. So, when you started getting into research. Um, Tell us where the public relations profession was at that time in terms of its use or understanding of research. I, I would sense, even judging from my own career going back uh, to my 20s, uh, a few years back, uh, we didn't really know anything about research. You know, we, we, we did a lot of, you know, media placement. That was the big thing in public relations. It still is, of course, you know, uh, placing good stories with print and broadcast media. Um, what was the status of uh, research when you got into it? Uh, it must have been a, a practically none, as, as I recall. Well, there were there were two two schools. One were uh, uh, a type of executive who was a data informed executive who understood what the business needed and and worked to deliver uh, what the business needed and to deliver it through data. There weren't many of those people, I must say. The state of the, of the profession at that time was more media analysis with a heavy emphasis on clip counting, impressions, and ad values. But if you look at the origins of public relations and look at Edward Bernays, one of the fathers of public relations, he considered himself to be a social scientist. So really his, his premise in public relations was heavily dependent on research, and some of his most famous successes were based on opinion polling and research. So looking looking backwards in terms of, you know, the, the fact that you devoted your life to a, a very important niche uh, uh, of the public relations industry, something that's become obviously more and more relied upon and, and used, um, do you think that the uh, uh, the professionals in the world of public relations today are as well versed as research in research that you would uh, like? No, I, I think my mission and the mission of all uh, communications data scientists has, has some distance to go. I think that m more people are more aware of data principally because of its greater accessibility. There are tools now that are low, low cost, some even free, to the point where they're ubiquitous. So even sole practitioners, uh, small agencies, not-for-profits have access 
to tools that deliver data. The challenge, uh, however, evolves with that status. So now the challenge is more focused on managing those tools and deriving insights from the data. And that's the distance that we still have to travel. So, uh, you know, using the term PR trendsetters, I mean, obviously there's a lot of uh, focus today on analytics and uh, new terms that we never heard, you know, 30 years ago. To what extent have you been involved, you know, with the increased technology and its and its utilization in the world of, of research? Uh, have, have you been a pioneer in that as well? I I wouldn't identify myself as a, as a pioneer. There are certain people who really have led to great discoveries. I think I have been at the forefront of certain elements that rely on technology. And for the record, I think technology has always been a part of public relations, whether that was a telephone or a typewriter. That was a form of technology in its time. Now, the role of technology is more focused on um, uh, efficiency and speed and consistency. So there were times when we had to develop new methods might not be new technology necessarily, but new methods and new approaches to enable greater discoveries to inform better communications and business decisions. They've been a part of that much more than the technology, but the technology enables that ability. So when you when you break down the the term research, Mark, uh, you know we're all familiar with the term research uh, from our college days. You know because in order to write a a thesis. You know, you had to go to the library and do research. You have to have to. You had to look into books and get facts and information to support, you know, whatever premise you were using in your in your thesis. Um, use that analogy and talk about, you know, like what it is that uh, PR professionals are now looking for in terms of research. What is it they're looking for in terms of putting together a public relations plan for their clients? whether they're within the corporation or nonprofit uh, organization or in an agency, um, how is research used today? What are people looking for that they didn't earlier? Well, in your question, you have embedded part of the answer. When I first started to do this type of work, most of the focus was on evaluation, which was looking backwards. How, you know, how did we do? That was the, the question that we were answering. Now, and it's reflected in the title of, the book, there's a hierarchy where there's technology, there's data and insights. And in between, there are different levels. So there is measurement, which for me is the basic level, which is counting. Then there's uh, research where you're doing more uh, discovery work. There's analysis where we interpret these results to make sense of them and to add context. And then there's insights where we provide actionable intelligence to help for better decision-making. So there is a hierarchy. I think most of the profession is still focused on evaluation because um, uh, ultimately that's what executives seem to want, and that's executives within client organizations as well as agencies, uh, internal and external clients. But I see the profession is evolving. There are professional organizations now well-established, like the Institute for Public Relations and AMEC, uh, an international, another international organization focused on communications, research, and analysis. Uh, so there's a greater awareness in all the awards programs. There are awards recognizing research excellence, and uh, there's even majors, graduate and undergraduate, 
courses and degrees in communications data science. I, I see that this is an element evolving with the profession, and as the profession becomes more and more professionalized, research is, is, um, is drawn along with it, and maybe even reinforcing or leading in some cases. So, Mark, modesty aside, you know, your name has been synonymous with uh, research in public relations for a number of years. You know, you've lectured, you've written articles, uh, you've written books, you serve on advisory committees of some leading public relations organizations, too many to name. Um, but modesty aside, what role do you think that you personally have played in adding, in adding data-informed analysis, insights, and guidance to enable better communications and, and business decisions? Oh, I, I have to look first, but I'd say several elements. One is that I've helped clients, and you named some of them, and when those clients win awards and achieve professional success, that's a reflection on a contribution that I've made. That's the way I interpret it. But I've also introduced some new methods. I was the first or among on a team of pioneers who created the first quantitative market mix model, which is an advanced statistical analysis that revealed and isolated public relations contribution to revenue generation for AT&T. That was in 1999, it's been a while, but I've done maybe 50 of those. And at the time, they were real pioneering work. Now they're much more common as public relations has become more widely recognized as an essential element in driving revenue generation. Second element I'd, I'd point to is the people with whom I've worked and the success that they've gone on to. I'm very proud to say I've worked with some really smart people. They enabled my success. And to see them flourish is uh, something I, I take uh, pride in. And then finally, the companies for whom I've worked and the success that we've enjoyed in, in those cases. So those are companies like PR Data, um, MediaLink, Delahaye, Prime, those are companies that um, went on to great success, and I am I'm proud of those successes. So let, let's say uh, a PR agency uh, uh, is awarded a brand new account. Um, let's say it's going to introduce a you know a uh, a, a French uh, vodka into the U.S. Uh, and uh, uh, at what at what point do you come in, Mark? You know there. The agency is planning its program, and uh, obviously, it, uh, you know, research is required. I mean, uh, you know, you know, what, ranging from what you know, what are the uh, what are the the, the the taste habits of uh, of of Americans regarding you know various uh, spirits brands and what have you. Where does research begin? When when would you come into the picture? Well, in my experience working for agencies, the the research element comes before that. It comes as part of the pitch to inform the pitch, to make sure that the recommendations that we're making are mm -hmm. aligned with the messaging, the audience, media, that uh, will lead to success. That's how, that's how you win an account. But once the account is won, there's, uh, there's a deeper dive into, into those elements. There may be an opening for greater collaboration within the client organization to work with their market research team to fine-tune some of these elements. But uh, throughout my career, uh, probably 95% or more of our clients are corporate clients. So mm -hmm. many times we've been involved in creating the RFP that leads to the agency pitch. 
And, and so there's really a meeting of research-informed processes where the, the, the corporate client or the brand client has a greater understanding of what they're trying to accomplish so that they can make a wiser choice in, in, uh, in the agency they hire. So the agency has a head start. The client has a head start because they've already eliminated some of the risks that might go with, uh, with hiring an agency or starting a new campaign and launching a brand. Do some of the large agencies have their own research departments at this point? I'm not, I'm not, I don't know the answer to that, so I, obviously I'm asking you that. Uh, well, yeah, they do, and I see a greater emphasis on this. Uh, Edelman, Golan, Ketchum, Real Chemistry, those are three or four, and, uh, there, and there are others. Those are the ones that just came to mind. Uh, Mark Penn's or Stagwell, that, that's another that has de- a dedicated, um, dedicated business unit for research. Yeah. And they, I think that at one time, agencies, most agencies paid less attention to research and they were happy to have third-party organizations like the ones for whom I've worked, uh, work directly with the, with, the, with the corporate clients that we shared. Now, I think, uh, especially given the pandemic, uh, the business environment was one where agencies could no longer ignore any revenue channel. So they became more heavily invested in research. Um, Edelman has made a, a, a very substantial commitment to this. But um, the challenge for agencies is, is that they still have a vested interest in a positive outcome, and their corporate and brand clients recognize this. So the agencies who have research, dedicated research teams uh, do a very capable job. I know a lot of those people, and we're friends, and we've collaborated. But there's still a place for the independent research firm, Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where I reside. Yeah, Mark, in uh, 2018, uh, and I believe I attended that dinner. Uh, you received the uh, the uh, Jack Felton Medal for Lifetime Achievement from the the Institute for Public Relations (IPR). Uh, I know you serve as a member of its leadership team. Uh, you're also a member of the Arthur Page Society, which is you know uh, uh, one of the prestigious uh, societies for top corporate communications officers and, and agency people as well. You act in, in an advisory role for the Museum of Public Relations, and you sit on the advisory board of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. But winning the Jack Felton Medal was obviously a, a, a major um, uh, tribute to you because of your lifetime work in, in research. My question to you about that is, you made an acceptance speech, and I remember at the time it was very, very touching and very sincere. What, what, what did you say during the course of uh, your accepting the uh, Jack Felton Award? Well, that was a special night for a few reasons. One is that I was friends with Jack Felton, and that award reflects lifetime achievement, but also lifetime achievement in the spirit of Jack Felton. And I'm sure you knew him. He's a very warm, generous, yes, gregarious yes. man, and I... I took that to be uh, a, a, a great compliment. That evening was special for two reasons. I, I did give an acceptance speech, but what was probably more memorable was that I was introduced by my wife, who Braden Bledsoe, who is a corporate communicator. That's how we met. And nobody knew who she was. She was a bona fide um, introduction because she's in the profession. And it was her last moment when she was uh, describing 
you know, Mark Wiener as the person winning this award and what he's done to achieve it. And at the end, she said, and that's one reason why uh, I love him and we're married now. And then the whole crowd, that was a surprise to the audience, and there was a big ooh sound. So that was, <laughs> that was tough to top, actually, because that was a surprise yeah. to the audience. But my, my acceptance was focused mostly on gratitude and thanking others for um, – the affirmation that led to the career achievement. You know, as I said earlier, uh, the only reason I succeeded really was because uh, some people recognized my talent in a way that I didn't, that I didn't. And uh, it was only through their recognition that I accomplished what I've accomplished and was recognized for it. A touching moment, I remember. You know, you started your, your career at the New York Times News Service, uh, and obviously you, you understood how newsrooms operate. Is that, is that how uh, you got into public relations initially, I mean, doing research? Because you could have gotten into various other uh, professions, uh, obviously applying those same skills. Why public relations? Well, this is, as I, as I said at the beginning, this is one of the mysteries of life. The philosopher Kierkegaard said that the mystery is that it has to be lived moving forwards, but only understood looking backward. I had no idea that this is what I would do. I, I understood, I didn't even understand public relations fully having been in the newsroom. So I was getting pitched all the time. I just never recognized it as, as public relations. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was people you know, trying to help me because the ones with whom I worked were reliable and consistent and helpful. Um, so I could have taken a path in the media. I had worked for both New York Times and Tribune companies which are two of the, at least at that time, uh, the, the two of two of the largest newspaper organizations, and I saw, I saw, I saw then what we continue have continued to see for thirty years, which is the decline of the news business, and it's it's very uh, sad to see for me with uh, the emergence of news deserts and whole swaths of states and the country, whole regions without local news. Um, so public relations, a, a public relations door opened for me and I was qualified and I made something out of it. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful. I, I didn't understand public relations when I started. My role at the time was advising clients on media targeting um, and it evolved and I'm lucky for it. So who hires you and why, uh, Mark? Uh, the tendency is to work with large Fortune 1000 international companies, as you said, they tend to be in regulated industries where the stakes are high and reputation risk is high. Um, so, as, as you said, companies in the technology, automotive, retail, um, pharmaceuticals, I'm probably leaving out a few major categories, um, financial services is one. They're, they hire us, and, um, and, and we, they hire us in a systemic way. So we're working for the entire organization through the corporate, uh, the corporate entity. So we may be working with business units, but usually it's through the corporation and corporate communications team. And we're providing them with uh, data and insights as they need it. This, is often, uh, this often happens daily where there are certain questions that emerge and a quick pull of data can provide uh, some insight and direction. And now more and more, uh, we're providing predictive analytics to help communicators sense where 
where the news stream is headed, where competitors are going, uh, what, um, what, uh, what the likely scenarios are for a, a given decision so that clients can make better choices as to um, whether, you know, what to say, how to say it, and to whom to say it. So this, this is the way we work. We work very closely with these organizations and communicators to um, help them achieve two goals. One is to communicate the value of communications within the organization. Uh, still, many senior executives don't fully understand what public relations is, even though they value re reputation probably more than ever, still don't understand exactly how public relations work. Uh, so proving value and improving performance. And by that, I mean uh, contributing a positive return on the organization's investment in communication by either generating revenue, driving efficiency, or avoiding catastrophic costs. And that's the sort of counsel we give. How is research used in risk management? Obviously, with social media so prevalent today and, uh, and, and companies taking hits here and there, you know, like online, uh, more so than ever before, and, and needing to ad address those, uh, those issues. How is research used in, 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 in that practice of risk management? I'll give you an example. There was a company a few years ago, an energy company, that uh, had consistently paid dividends, and the CEO of the company promised publicly that, the, that this company would continue to pay dividends until they approached their quarterly earnings and they were going to miss. And one of the considerations was to scale back the dividend. Well, the CEO wisely called together the legal team and the communications team and uh, invited them to debate this, this question of how to, how to handle it publicly. The lawyers suggested that the company say nothing, and while the communicators recommended transparency and openness to explain what was happening, why it was happening, and what the company would do about it. Uh, so in the result of that conversation, we were engaged already with this company, and they asked us to do the special assignment to look at six energy companies, each of whom had missed earnings, three of whom had taken the lawyer path, and three of whom had taken the communicator's path, all this before the announcement. And what we learned was that of the six companies, all six saw a stock price decline after the event, after the earnings mm -hmm. announcement. Uh, three of them who took the lawyer's advice continued to slide for a full year, full 12 months after the announcement. The companies who chose the PR advice slid for the first three or four weeks, but rebounded. And by the end of 12 months had actually climbed 8% on average. Well, this was not a, um, a causal analysis. This was a quick, um, a quick correlation to see whether there was any pattern. And that pattern that I just described was good enough for the CEO to recognize that the communicator's advice was the best advice. He took that advice. And sure enough, in the weeks that followed, the stock price slid and the market cap slid. But by the end of the year, the company's stock price had risen 12%. So they clearly made the right decision. And having that one, uh, that five days to do that research, that's what it took at that time, was all manual at that time, um, they made a better decision. And as a result of it, they saved their company and their investors billions of dollars. And um, that was a case of risk 
risk mitigation, and it's one of the most important elements that we provide. Uh, as an aside, there, and this is in the book too, there are three elements that I consider to be contributory towards return on investment. One of them is driving sales, which is a sexy, alluring path, uh, but it's difficult to do, and the impact may be in the millions of dollars for most brands. The most accessible path to return on investment is efficiency, which means doing more with less and for less. Every PR person makes those decisions every day, you know, to contact this journalist or that to sponsor this event or not. But the third most impactful is illustrated in that story of the energy company where catastrophic costs can result in an impact of billions of dollars in market cap. And we are there's no shortage of examples now with uh, companies who make bad decisions, find themselves in headlines, and especially in these days of rapidly emerging sensitive social issues, I think CEOs are much more sensitive to, um, to, to public perception. Uh, they feel the need to act responsibly, but they don't necessarily know how to do that. And so the Council of Public Relations and the role of research are even greater than they've, they've ever been. I think it's one of the – if there's a benefit to all of this social unrest, it's that public relations is emerging as a key corporate asset. My next question is, given what you just said, where, where do you think the PR industry is today? You know, how far has it come and where does it need to go? You've been in the industry a, a quite a long time and you've contributed greatly you know, t to a facet of it that, that you know, was in, in very early stages, I guess, when you started doing this and has become so sophisticated uh, and required uh, currently. Um, so where, where are we today as an industry? What's, what's your take on that? Well, I think public relations continues to mature. Uh, the evidence of that is the attraction that a public relations career holds for tomorrow's leaders, you know, students in school who, who see public relations as a, uh, as, a, as a first choice for career. I think that was less true to a larger degree when, when we were entering the workforce. Uh, but I see it also in terms of budgets and uh, and the level of involvement in which senior corporate communicators are working uh, on executive teams. But at the same time, I think there's still so much further to go. And I look at the evidence I, I see for that is in our own self-esteem. I think that uh, that public relations has its own reputation issues within the profession that uh, we don't all recognize the, the level of professionalism that we've achieved. And um, I, think, I think there's a book somewhere to be written about the psychology of the public relations person because it's a, it's, a, it's a complicated persona. You know, we accomplish so much, and yet we don't uh, so readily recognize the contributions that we make. And that, that may be one reason why research continues to grow in importance because it's a, it's a form of validation and it communicates the value of public relations and public relations performance in the language of business, which is data. So th these references, as you've seen, I'm sure, also, um, you know, generating significant buzz, breaking through the media clutter, this is the sort of thing that, that applicants for PR awards, they continue to describe their work in those ways. Those are the objectives that they'll put on yeah. an award yeah. entry, which is supposed to be, represent the best of the best. But, in fact, we're doing much more than that, and we can quantify what we do in ways that speak directly 
to the interests of companies and brands and their leaders. Well said. Well said. Mark, I got one final question for you. Um, yeah. This has been most illuminating, and thank, I thank you. My final question to you uh, for today is, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, gee whiz. As, uh, as a generous person, a good father, a good friend, uh, and, uh, and somewhere on that list is that I made a contribution to the profession while I was in it. All right. Well, Mark, Mark Wiener, on that note, I want to thank you so much. <clears throat> I want to thank you so much on behalf of our PR Masters uh, podcast listeners. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate your candor, your directness, and your eloquence. You are indeed a PR master. Thank you for being with us today, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you, Art. And thank you all for joining us today. I'm Art Stevens, your host and managing partner of the Stevens Group. I'm now signing off. We will see you soon with the next PR Masters podcast. Take care, everybody, and be well.